we started seeing uh, men give their lives to Jesus, and it just ignited my life for what could be possible. You know, like maybe God could use me, like not just change me, but use me. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast and YouTube channel. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side of the spirit world and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anyone that you feel might be encouraged by it too. Quick disclaimer, what we can agree on here is that we love Jesus and he is our Lord and Savior. I don't filter what my guests say, so there will most likely be something along the way that you don't agree with, and that's okay. I highly recommend spending time researching and praying about anything that gets said that might trouble you. With all that said, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Hey everyone, today we're talking to Chad Logan, founder of The Hope Project, a certified recovery coach and podcast host of Real Talk with Chad Logan. After experiencing different childhood traumas and abandonment, Chad began coping with substances from a very early age. His life grew darker as the substances grew harder, and after numerous times of moving across the country and still finding himself there, he realized he needed a true change. Today, Chad is sharing with us his real and raw journey of battling with addiction for many years, but finally overcoming in Jesus's name. He will also be sharing about his ministry, The Hope Project, and how you can find support there too. Without further ado, let's get on to the show. Okay, good morning, Chad. Thank you so much for being on the Raised and Redeemed podcast today. Uh, Just for the listeners to know a little bit about how we met, I was recently on your podcast called Real Talk with Chad Logan, where I got the opportunity to share my testimony. Um, And in that, I started listening back to uh, some of your other episodes. And, you know, I got all the way to the to the beginning and I got to hear your testimony. And I was just so encouraged and inspired, um, having come personally from a long line of addiction. So Yeah, I just wanted to have you here today to share a little bit more about your testimony with our listeners, um, share about the Hope Project, which you are the founder of, um, and just, yeah, how you are partnering with people who are um, in their recovery journey. So thank you for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to to be here with you today and really love the podcast and I'm honored to, to be a guest on this. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So if you would just want to take the floor and just take yeah. us to the beginning of of your testimony, how you came yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people start their testimonies at different times in their life. But for me, I start right at the beginning because, you know, I was born into kind of a kind of a bad situation. My father went to prison four months after I was born. And uh, that uh, ensured that my mom and my sister and I would be on uh, government welfare. And um, so I remember getting presents at Christmas time that said for a boy and for a girl. I was so thankful for the angel tree. It provided Christmas. But I remember that being some of my first memories And um, my dad didn't get out of prison until I was four years old. And so I always tell people, you know, if you have kids, be there as much as you can in those first four years, because even though the child is, you know, not old or whatever, um, those are the formative years that you need to have your child close to you so they can get comfortable with you. And so my dad got out of prison when I was I was four years old. and. 
my mom was a devout Christian. And so uh, she stayed with my dad, even when she probably shouldn't have. Um, she stayed with my dad till I was about nine years old. And I remember my dad being uh, very much into work, whether it was work around the house or, you know, he's very much a workaholic and also an alcoholic. And um, so when I was nine, uh, they split up because my mom just he was he was emotionally unavailable. Um, it was it was not good. My dad also had a very tough upbringing and was really a product of the love he received growing up. So um, my mom and dad split when I was nine. And I don't really ever remember. Like I knew my dad loved me, but I also knew that it wasn't the kind of love that I saw coming from other families. You know, I I didn't feel like um and I didn't feel comfortable around him again. And I think it was because I missed those formative years. And so, um, but like every boy and every girl, even, um, I longed for a relationship with a father figure in my life, particularly my father. Um, but after after my dad moved out, um he, you know, moved into his own apartment and um I would just remember begging him for time with him, you know, like, I just want to be around my dad. Who is this man that, you know, gave, gave me life, you know, and um, this was before cell phones. So I remember he would tell me he was going to pick me up after work. He would say, I'll be there at 430, 430 would come five o'clock, 530. And so, you know, I couldn't call him and say, where are you at? So I would eventually call him about six o'clock at his home residence, he would say, Oh, son, I'm so sorry. I got busy today. And I just totally forgot. And I remember feeling at a young age, how could my dad forget me? You know, like, um, I really didn't feel like he cared. Like, even if you forgot me, wouldn't you come back and, and pick me up? I mean, it couldn't have been that far out of your way. And so I felt very uh, unloved and unwanted uh, by my father. And so I was at a place in my life where um, I was really searching for uh, a male role model, a father figure in my life um, that could love me, you know, and show me what it is to, to be a man. And uh, so my mom got remarried to my, my stepdad and um, he ended up being a closet cocaine addict and alcoholic ended up being super, super emotionally and physically abusive to my sister and I. And um, so, you know, I've got this father who I feel like doesn't want me. And I've got this stepfather who I feel like I'm like unwanted and I'm part of the package deal with my mom. And then uh, about this time, I my mom drug me to church every Sunday morning. Um and, you know, just to speak about church, I remember growing up in a Methodist church and, uh, you know, again, this is before cell phones. I hated church so much that I would army crawl into my mom's bedroom at like four o'clock on Sunday mornings and unplug her alarm clock <laughs> because I knew it would get me out of church. And, you know, this church I, I went to, I don't remember hearing a whole lot about the gospel. I don't remember hearing a whole lot about the love of God. I remember thinking church was a place that I came to, to we came to, to show people how we were, uh, you know, doing in life. And, you know, I, I remember thinking church people were really fake because my stepfather, who was beating me and treating me emotionally horribly during the week was dressing up in a suit on Sunday morning and coming to church and being a deacon. And I was like, I don't want any part of this. Yeah. You know, church felt like a place where people wanted to show everybody how good they were when it was in reality, it was all fake. And I didn't like fake, you know, like I wanted to, I didn't realize at the time that God's plan for the church was that it would be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for yeah. saints. You know, and and that's exactly what this was, you know. And so I came to church every Sunday. I was, a you know, an altar boy. I think they called it an acolyte. I lit the candles and that was kind of cool. I got to play with fire at church. Um, but I remember getting involved uh, when I was in sixth grade um, in the youth group there. And the youth group was cool because it was like these young adults who all seemed like they really cared about the kids. They took us to do fun stuff. Like I think we went and saw newsboys and, you know, um, 
and it was awesome. And so there was this guy, single guy, who was probably in his 30s, who took a really um, took an interest in me. And I was like, this is awesome, you know, because I've got these two other male role models in my life that I feel like don't want me, don't like me. I'm a package deal. And so he started taking interest in me and like he would get permission from my mom to take me out to movies and take me bowling and stuff. And it started innocently enough. Um, but shortly after that, uh, it started into some like serious sexual abuse. And um, so um, I continued to let it happen because um, I felt like, again, that was part of the deal. Like I had to let that happen for this man to take an interest in me. And so just kind of reviewing where we're at in my life, you know, um, I've got a father who doesn't want anything to do with me. I've got a stepfather who basically doesn't like me and I'm a package deal. And now I've got this man who's supposed to be a representation of the body of Christ, who is a, you know, Christian, um, who is sexually molesting me and, you know, a boy at 12, 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, like a, a boy needs a father figure, right? Mm -hmm. There is a yearning inside each boy and girl for a father figure. And so I've got these three horrible role models in my life. So, you know, we call God the father, right? The heavenly father. So from everything that I had seen from the men in my life, I didn't want to be part of a heavenly father like that because all these father figures in my life were so jacked up. When I was 12 years old, though, there was an old Southern Baptist revival that came to the church and they were amazing, right? They were talking about the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and I heard the gospel in a way I didn't ever remember hearing it from my old Methodist church. I don't even know how they left the Baptist in the door anyway, but um, it was a beautiful thing. And I remember 12 years old, just breaking down and sobbing, knowing that Jesus Christ, the creator of all things good, uh, you know, the saver, the lover of my soul, um, wanted a relationship with me. And so, you know, went to the altar and got the prayer and everything. And But what happened was that Baptist revival left the church and there was no follow-up, mm. right? There was nobody that came alongside me and discipled me. Um, but I remember even then getting a taste of the grace of Jesus Christ. And I knew that Baptist revival was going to be in town one more day. And so I went to school the next day and I, I told everybody, I was like, y'all got to come to this Baptist revival because I heard about this this guy named Jesus in a way I've never heard about him before. And I brought friends with me the next night. And it's so funny to look back at it now and say, wow, God, God created me to be an evangelist even back then. Like that, that was my calling. And I was so excited, um, but they went away. The feeling went away. And oftentimes I think we base our relationship with Jesus on a feeling. And I didn't have anybody to come alongside me and say, well, even though that feeling is gone now, you know, now it's it's time to get to work and get some of the meat and potatoes and study your Bible and pray and, you know, and, and go with the ups and downs in life. And so that's good. Yeah. So um, I remember looking back now, I, I know what it was. I had a God sized hole inside of me. Right. Um, I wanted to fill it with, you know, a father figure, which I think can be good in some regards if they're discipling you and, and uh, you know, moving you towards a relationship with Jesus. But I didn't have that. So this God-sized hole inside of me was hungry. So when I was a kid and I remember as early as kindergarten, I was the class clown, right? Like I, it, whether it was positive attention or negative attention, I was, you know, getting the attention of the class and the teacher. Yeah. And um, that happened all the way up until about fifth grade. And in fifth grade, I, um, I uh, tried alcohol for the first time and smoked, uh, smoked weed for the first time. And I remember those two things, putting those in my body and saying, wow, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Like I have finally arrived. Like I feel comfortable in my own skin. I, you know, don't feel like I've got a you know, put anything else inside me to make me feel whole. But yeah. so it started with that, you know, from the time I was 12 
to all the way until 27, um, mm-hmm. I was out there looking to fill a God-sized hole that only God could fill. What I look back now and and know is I was searching for a, I was using a chemical solution um, for a spiritual problem, you know? It was a chemical solution for a spiritual problem. My spiritual problem was I didn't have Jesus living inside me, right? I wasn't, I wasn't growing with him. And so um, this really started me off on a bad foot. I spent uh, about three years of my young life in and out of juvenile detention centers. And the last one I was in, I went to a boys uh, like penitentiary for, you know, truancy and just like, you know, having marijuana on me at school and stuff. And so I spent a year there when I was 15 to 16 and I got my GED um, in December of 2001. And when I got out, I wanted to get as far away from my mom as I could because like I loved her, but I was searching for something else. Like I was so such in a hurry to grow up. And so um, we had been li- living in Northwest Indiana and uh, I had my GED now. So I was like, Hey mom, I want to go to college in Chicago. And um, so went up to to the college and actually uh, met a, a girl while I was up there and her, she had a roommate. They were looking for a roommate and my Christian mom let her 16-year-old son move in with two females. We were like, we were like the real threes company. Um, and it, it was crazy. Um, but there I I gained a daily um marijuana habit, um, alcohol habit, and then um that's when I discovered cocaine. And um, so 16 years old, I had a horrible cocaine habit and um, started getting paranoid from that. So I traveled all over. I went to LA and just like got in a car and went, left school, left my apartment um, and just was on a journey to try every drug I could try. When people ask me like, what was your drug of choice? I was like, I say, what do you get? What did you have? You know, I really feel like I was a garbage can. Um, And so I found myself um, in Phoenix, Arizona when I was uh, 19 years old. And um, that was that was where I was like, I'm going to stay here because it's easy and it's cheap to get drugs because it's so close to the border. And so um, I spent the next several years of my life um, with a daily crystal meth habit. And um, then I discovered heroin one day, black tar heroin. And, uh, you know, I always, people always say, well, I wouldn't, I would never do that. And I say yet, right. You wouldn't do that yet. Um, because I said that I would never, I would never try the needle. Um, but somebody told me, Hey, you can eat heroin, right? So I started eating it. That took the fear off heroin. They said, you can snort it. Then they said, Hey, you can muscle it. You can, you can put it in your arm. And, you know, and I was like, well, that's not that bad. And so I started doing that. And then that took the fear off the needle. And before I knew it, I found myself um, shooting heroin in my veins. And that was where my life went really, really dark. Um, And so I got a really bad uh, heroin and cocaine intravenous use habit and really suffered for a long time until I found myself at a point uh, where I was in Phoenix. And I said, I've got to get the heck away from this place. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I looked at a map and I was like, I don't want to go towards LA cause that's, you know, two hours away. So I looked on a map and saw Charleston, South Carolina. That was as far East as I could go. Mm-hmm. And the insanity of my thinking was I'm going to pick up everything that I have and I'm going to move to Charleston, South Carolina. And that's what I did because I was still under the assumption that I could change my geography and that I may be able to find a better life, but that was a lie because I couldn't run away from myself oh and I couldn't God. run away from the spiritual brokenness inside yep. of me. Right. Can I you relate? The same thing. Yep. I totally hear you. So I moved there, uh, when I was, uh, 21 years old and I was like, Oh, this is a fresh start. This is great. Well, um, the the drugs that I was doing in Phoenix weren't as uh, easy to find. So I developed a crack habit. Mm. Um, 
I was never, you know, one of those people that would like sell their baby sister for for crack. Some people get really out there, but you know, it was like a daily drinking, daily smoking weed and, you know, crack from time to time and cocaine or whatever. And so I realized, wow, like I, I thought I was going to come out here and be different and I'm not different. Um, and so I started making attempts at getting my life together. So there's a, there's a detox here in Charleston, um, that I would go to. And I went to probably seven to 10 times trying to get sober and I would go to that detox and, uh, I would stay in there for a week, get dried out, and I could pass a lie detector test and tell you, I'm never touching that stuff again. Like, I'm well now. You know, I don't need that stuff. And on the way home from the detox, I would have a 12-pack of Milwaukee's Best Ice mm. and, and a Crack Rock, you know, because – um like I didn't have a stopping problem. I had a staying stopped problem. Mm. That was, that was my real problem. Yeah. And um, I had a spiritual sickness inside of me that until I was willing to deal with that and do the work, um, I, I wasn't going to be able to find any freedom. So after several attempts at uh, this detox, I remember I was 27 years old Um my dad had actually moved to Charleston and still drinking heavily. He was letting me stay on his couch, 27 years old, didn't have a driver's license, didn't barely have a penny to my name, except for what it was to drink that day. Um, you know, like I said, sleeping on a couch, uh, no wife, no prospects for a, even a girlfriend. Like um, it, it was horrible. And um, it's crazy what things will do it sometimes. I remember this is when Spice got real uh, popular. And um, a buddy of mine, you know, was was smoking. And he said, yeah, if you get some, make sure you take just a couple of hits. Well, I was used to smoking marijuana. So I smoked the whole thing down. And I literally about lost my mind. Um, and that scared me enough to say, all right, I have to make an honest attempt at getting my life together. and. I always tell people like I was never suicidal, but I was killing myself. Yeah. You know, I remember, I remember those foxhole prayers of going to bed at night and saying, Jesus, if you're there, just help me to make it through the night. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I've, I've done a lot of drugs today and I don't know if I'm going to wake up in the morning and I don't want to die, but I know I'm killing myself. And so all throughout those years, you know, when I got in bad situations, you know, I prayed those foxhole prayers but there was never any kind of a relationship. And so I made this one last attempt at a detox. I said, if I don't get this now, I don't know if I, I have any, any time left. And so I went into this detox and something had shifted this time, right? I, I got in there and I really started talking to God in a way um, that I hadn't since I was 12 years old mm -hmm. and um, something was telling me to read his word and just start, you know, discovering, you know, what did he have to say about me? Is this really the answer to all my problems? Mm -hmm. And um, something told me like, and I know it was God, I know it was the Holy spirit that I could not just go to this detox and think I was going to get out and be well, I had to go to a long-term uh, recovery center. And so um, as scared as I was, uh, I decided to ask for help for that. And so I went to a four month long um, recovery center. And this was the first time I'd ever made an attempt like this to really go for the long haul. And uh, so I went to this place. And if you know anything about the big book, um, you know, it's it's the 12 steps. And the place I went to was like a big book boot camp. Okay. And so in step one, in step one, it says, um, we admitted that we were powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. I was like, okay, all right, I can track with that. Like, so mm -hmm. my, my problem is that I'm powerless, right? I understand that because I know if I got out of that detox and I went back home, I would be powerless and I would use again. So, all right, now I've diagnosed my problem. I've diagnosed my, my problem. And so in step two, it says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. All mm -hmm. right. So I've got my problem. Now I've got my solution. Wow. We're really getting to work in these steps. And so that really caused me to do some really deep work, 
you know, when it came to what did I really believe, you know, um, am I going to run with this whole Jesus thing or, you know, am I going to try something else? And I knew in the back of my mind that I had to see if this thing was real, if this, yeah. this God thing was real. Gonna take a quick second here to tell you about Raised and Redeemed merch. I somehow end up in my bright pink Raised and Redeemed crew neck nearly every day because it's so comfy and I love to tell the world that I have been raised and redeemed in Jesus' name. And wearing something that says that is a great conversation starter. Not only do we have crew necks, but we also have t-shirts, hoodies, cropped hoodies, mugs, stickers, socks, and more. You can either follow the link titled Raised and Redeemed Merch in the comment section of wherever you're listening, click the link in any of my social media bios, or go to Raised and Redeemed, and that's spelled out, raisedandredeemed.creatorslashspring.com to order yours and support the show today. Okay, so we're at the point now where you just realize that... um you know, you're, you're trying to fix this spiritual problem with all these temporary, temporary chemical solutions. And you're kind of at a turning point of like, okay, am I going to take this whole God thing seriously? Yes. So what was the next part after that? Yeah. So this is where the beauty starts happening. Um, it's all beautiful because it's God's story, but, um, so I was definitely open to, you know, what would it look like for me to jump back into a relationship with Jesus? And I started hearing about this church that um, was around the corner and they were letting us go to church on Sundays. And the people from this church had a ministry where they brought bands and they picked up the people from the recovery center. Mm. And, um, and I was, you know, asking a few people about their church. They're like, yeah, it's like a rock concert. And um, I was single at the time. They were like, there are pretty girls there. And, you know, I'm like, well, this is would kill two birds with one stone. I can get out and see some things and and then also, you know, come see about Jesus. And um, so it was October of 2011. Um, I'll never forget it. I went to this church and I remember the first thing that struck me was, it wasn't like the church I was used to growing up in. One thing that really impressed me and still impresses me when churches do to this day, and I don't know how God feels about this. I think he'd be pretty cool about it, but they had a smoking section, okay. right? Like if you if you want to reach people that are far from God, you know, one of the last things I think God removes is smoking, you mm-hmm. know? And so why wouldn't you, instead of having them smoke in front of everybody, and that just really, I don't know... I, it just really struck me like, this is crazy, but this, like, how cool is it that they think about people that are coming that are far from God? And so I remember, yeah, it was awesome. You know, it's like the little touch. And then I remember we came in that day and people knew where we were coming from and they went out of their way to let us know that we were welcome there. You know, it was like, it was the first time I ever really saw the body of God um, in a way of like, I like I read about in scripture that it's meant to be a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. And um, so my ears were perked up, right? I went into to the sermon that day and the speaker that day um, was talking about something I hadn't heard since I was 12 years old. And when I was 12, I don't even know if I had the thought capacity to really understand the implications of what they were saying, but the speaker was talking about the fact that this man named Jesus, you know, historically, not fairy tale, historically came 2,000 years ago, and he lived a sinless life, and he died a criminal's death, and over 500 people saw him crucified on a criminal's cross, and three days later, he rose from this grave, and over 500 people saw him walking around um, with holes in his hands, like this man literally robbed the grave he beat death and um said that about how the hundreds of people that saw him after he um directed walking around with holes in his hands i have a jewish friend who asked me because we go back and forth about faith and she was like why does everybody believe in jesus like how can it how is this even believable and and i actually said that about you know that was one of the things i mentioned to her is like all the people that saw him after he rose again 
hundreds. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is like eyewitness accounts. You know, this isn't you know some sort of a fairy tale. And you know, even like, why would the disciples devote the rest of their lives to something that they didn't? believe in right mm-hmm. like some people say that they may have rolled the stone away which was probably impossible um, because there were guards at the cave and you know they say that uh they may have stole the body and it's like but they didn't have any reason to do that if jesus wasn't who he said he was yes. they wouldn't have devoted the rest of their life to him if if he wasn't who he says he was paul would have continued to kill Christians. You know, Saul wouldn't have been turned into Paul and wrote most of the New Testament after being a, you know, just a total hater of Christians. And so, you know, there's just so much evidence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I heard that that day and I heard the fact that um, I knew, like, I knew I couldn't be perfect, right? But Repentance was a, just a church word for me turning away from the awful stuff that I'm doing and turning towards a perfect savior, right? And it wasn't it wasn't me saying, all right, I'm going to be perfect now. It was me saying, all right, I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to serve God in any pe- capacity I can. But he's the one that grabs the mop and the bucket and comes and cleans up your life. You don't clean it up. You know, religion says, all right, now that you have Jesus, you need to dress in a suit. You need to come and you need to be good. You can't have any, you know, and you can't do anything wrong. And it's religion says you need to change your outside and then hopefully your inside will be changed. But a relationship with Jesus says you're fallen, right? And there's no way that you can make yourself good um, without, you know, the power of Jesus Christ. And so it really gave me this, this feeling of grace of like, all right, I know I'm still pretty jacked up, but I know if I turn away from the stuff that I'm doing and I turn toward Jesus, he'll walk with me. And so I ran with that. And so uh, it was October of 2011. And um, instantly I just felt this like relief, right? I started to feel, remember that God's size hole I talked about, I started feeling overflowing. My joy bucket was just like overflowing. And I remember being so on fire for what Jesus did in my heart with what little Bible knowledge I had. I went back to that uh, recovery center and I started a small group <laughs> and I started telling people about what Jesus did in my life. I knew what he did in my life. And um, we started seeing uh, men give their lives to Jesus and it just ignited my life for what could be possible. You know, like maybe God could use me, like not just change me, but use me. some of the richest time I've had in my walk with Jesus was um, there were two other guys and God was just doing such a radical thing inside of them. And when we got out of the recovery center, I stayed in this town and we became roommates and like, we're like, you know, at 20 something dudes who are now on fire for Jesus. And we would spend our nights with the TV off. I had this guitar in our, you know, in our off pitch, off tone voices, we would sing praises to King Jesus. We would open our Bibles and cry over scripture. And it was so just rich. It was so potent, you know? And so, um, we really, uh, us three really felt uh, a calling to, um, do something for the Lord. And, and, um, one of those guys today has written uh, a book and is also a world traveler and tells people about Jesus. He's seen tens of thousands of people come to know the Lord. And so we, him and I have an accountability call every week. We talk about all the guy stuff in our marriage and our kids and wow. how we think we're doing. And we've done that for 10 years. So and, funny. um, <clears throat> Yeah. So uh, it was just amazing. And so that same church that I prayed to receive Jesus at two years later, I was actually able to step um, on staff at, and I was on staff uh, for two years and um, loved it, but just kept sensing that I wasn't doing what I was called to be Mm. doing. And so 
I was like, well, maybe it's a worship leader. I'm not the best guitarist, you know, and um, there was a church that had a uh, a worship leader and a youth uh, pastor position open. And so I jumped on that church and uh, jumped into that church. And that was great. But um, I just felt like there was something else I was supposed to be doing. I fell in love with the local church and I just I wanted to like you know, fit, fit a square peg into a round tube. Like I was like, I want to work at a church and I feel like, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's crazy, you know? And it's like, and God is a good God who gives good gifts. And he says, all right, you're my child. You know, you're, you're worthy. You know, I've made you worthy. You can do this if you want to do it. And he let me do it. Um, But as I was working at these churches, I was doing a small group at a local recovery center. I'd been doing it for about three years. And every Wednesday I went in, we did a Bible study. Um, and just there was just a huge like Wiccan population there and, you know, just really kind of a pagan, you know, spirit there. And we were able to see so many people saved from that darkness wow. um, by Jesus. And I was, I was like, this is it. This is awesome. If I could do this for the rest of my life, I would. And we had a guy that came through and his name was Tyler and Tyler was 23 years old. He got saved through our small group. He got baptized and then he got out of the recovery center. And about three months later, he overdosed and died and uh, left behind him just a beautiful daughter. And it wrecked me, you know, it like really, really wrecked me. And they say, when you find your misery, you'll find your ministry. Mm. And I'm telling you, uh, my wife and I, you know, she didn't personally know him, but, you know, we spent a year on our knees, on our faces, asking God, what do we do with this? Because the pain wasn't going away for me. And um, I was, I felt in my heart that somehow I, I failed Tyler, right? Somehow there should have been some more discipleship, Mm -hmm. some more one-on-one discipleship. And so out of tears and pain and suffering came the idea for the hope project ministry and so um in november of 2018 we're going on five years um we decided to start this ministry called the hope project and we said we wanted to start a ministry for messy broken hurting hopeless people um that the world has all but given up on but you know we see all throughout scripture that those are God's people, you know, um, rarely did he ever call anybody who was qualified. He qualified those, uh, who were called, you know, and I just, just reading scripture, I was like, there's got to be something we can do for these people. So we started the hope project and, um, you know, if there's somebody listening today and you're like, you know, I feel like God may be calling me to this ministry, but I'm scared. You know, like, I don't know if I've got the courage to do this. Um, Worry about the courage later. Just do it. Just do it. Go do it. Life is short. It's so short. And um, you could be starting something today that is going to save some lives tomorrow, you know, and do it messy, you know, do it without all the knowledge. You know, God will give you what you need as you go. It's why he says, he makes his light a lamp unto your feet. He doesn't make it a floodlight unto your feet. He gives you each and every next step as you go. And so take what he's given you today and run with it. If you know that he's called you into it, just do it. Um, don't cool. worry about the courage. Amen. That makes me think of, I remember like when I first started um, started my relationship with the Lord, feeling like I didn't know, I didn't have a vision. I didn't have a clear vision of the future where I was supposed to be stepping next. And I finally made peace with the fact that he wasn't giving me that. He didn't want me to know that because he just wanted me to cling close to him for every next step. And so you just, I don't know, I just keep holding on to him and I don't know, you just keep moving forward in that direction. Don't worry about the courage at first. Another thing I just think everybody should write down if you're listening and you have a a pen nearby when you find your misery there you'll find your ministry that's mm. so good i'm like on so many things on that um yeah. it's um it's it's so true 
you know, because God put that inside of you. Each one of your emotions God put inside you because he wants to use those for his glory and for your good and the good of the people that you're going to serve. And so, um, and a lot of us too, you know, we don't want to start a ministry because we're not sure if that's the direction we want to go for that type of ministry. But it's like, you could start this ministry today and next week he says, no, I want you to do this. And you can totally change it. Like, don't feel, don't feel like you have to be, you know, cornered into, you know, whatever ministry you want to go into now. He may change it later and that's fine. Um, It's like in Leviticus, wait, no, I'm reading numbers. When the cloud moves, then the Israelites have to move. So whether the cloud of the Lord, the presence of the Lord was over the tabernacle for, you know, one day or one year, like when, when he moves, um, and and you can't be led astray in that. Amen. And speaking of the Israelites, don't take, uh, seven years to take a seven day journey. I mean, you know, and I mean, that just, that just so hits, hits the point. I don't know exactly how many years it took, but I know it was like a seven day journey that they took so long to go through because they were unwilling to submit to the voice and be obedient to God, you know, and obedience today may be different than obedience tomorrow to your calling, but do what he's called you to do today. You know, you think right now, like, just like actively, I've mentioned it briefly, just, um, my parents are still in severe bondage to addiction. And so like this message goes to both people who have come out on the other side and are now like, how can I, how can I help? Not just can God change me, but can God use me? But also the people who are still stuck and, you know, the hope that God can change you. Um, I guess it's like, what would your advice be for, I, I guess somebody like me who's walking alongside them and like praying for them. And and that is the root of a lot of my misery is seeing them continue to, like you said, you weren't suicidal, but you were actively killing yourself. And I see that. And, you know, I show my husband pictures of like my mom, my mom was so beautiful. She was so beautiful and healthy and had this long dark hair. And, and now it's like, you know, she just looks like, a heroin addict. That's what it is. And and my dad too. And, and he's like, my husband asked me, he's like, how don't you like, he's like, I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Like how you don't resent them because they destroyed themselves. And I'm like, I just love them so much. Like, and I want to believe. And then I see pictures like your before and after of how you looked when you were, you know, lost in addiction. And now here you are, you're so healthy. And like, like that flip side is possible too, that that, you know, yes. she can be healed. My dad can be healed and yes. and look amazing and healthy and Christ filled again. Yeah. I just haven't seen it yet. So I guess like, what would your, what would you have to say to somebody like yeah. me lo- who loves people who are still stuck in that? That's a great question. Um, I will tell you first and foremost, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my dad, but um First and foremost, never underestimate the power of intercessory prayer. Um, I really do believe you can pray those prodigals home, you know, and um, something about getting on your face and praying for the people that you love that can really move mountains and um, just know that you can't do it for them. You know, they're they're going to have to eventually do it. But love them and take those opportunities when you feel like, oh, they're not going to receive this well. Mm-hmm. Say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Say it anyway. You know, um, because one day, you know, God is going to allow something to get through to them or they're going to allow themselves for something to get through. And, you know, and then just your living testimony, your your living example of what God can do through someone. And um, but yeah, I mean, I. Pray for them and encourage them in any way you can and never, never miss a moment to share a testimony with them about what God has done in your life, you know, because they're going to have questions. You know, if if God has removed something from your life, explain to them how it worked. And, you know, uh, we were talking about this uh, before we got on, you know, share your testimony with anyone who will listen. Yeah. You know, and I mean, because you're t- 
testimony is one of the greatest tools you have on your tool belt, you know, especially if you've been saved from just, you know, horrible things like you and I have. Um, but I'll tell you the story of my dad. My dad, you know, as I talked about, we didn't have much of a relationship um, as I was growing up. And my dad had severe alcohol addiction for you know, like 60 years, you know. And when my dad was 75, um, he drank himself almost to death's door and went into the hospital. And uh, we were standing around his bed, you know, sitting around his bed 24 hours, you know, hoping he pulled through, but really kind of saying our goodbyes. And God gave him another chance. I mean, we prayed hard for him for a long time for God to remove the addiction from him. Um, but we also prayed that this wouldn't be our dad's legacy, that he would, he would pull through this and God would wake him up. And, you know, I'm so happy to say that at 75 years old, Four years ago, um, my dad got sober and he's been sober for four years and he's never had four years in his whole entire life. He is completely redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's walking in freedom today. He's my buddy today. We're best friends. I finally got the father that I always wanted and it's possible and God can do it. God can literally breathe on your situation and do it in a second. Mm-hmm. Um but we, his ways are higher than our ways, and we don't understand why he allows things to continue the way they continue. Um, but we have to trust that he's got a perfect plan, that Romans 8.28 says that he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That, um, And I don't want to misquote that, but I really do believe that God has a plan, not just for your situation, but for the people that you love. You know, for me personally, my mom thought that she, before I was born, the Lord came to her in a dream. She, she's told me this since before I was you know, able to walk, that, that God was going to use me for his kingdom. Wow. And um, towards the end of my addiction, she thought he was going to use me for a funeral to show people um, the what addiction can do to you. But God had different plans. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say too, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. You know, God can save them and change them in a second. And um, don't get mad at him if he doesn't, because he's got a plan. It's so easy. He can take it. If you get mad at him, he can take it. Um, He's a good father and he takes all our emotions. Don't ever feel like you can't give him those emotions, but he's got a plan for it. So yeah, I appreciate that. And I appreciate both sides. Like I'm learning what it means to be really honest with God. Like I thought that I was honest with God until I'm saying the things out loud to him that like, I never thought I would say out loud. And then I'm like, Oh wait, no, that's like next level. That's maturity. (laughs) When you stop looking at God, like this, you know, this crazy like authority figure in the, in the sky. And you start looking at him like a father that's carrying you through the hard times. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be mad at him. He loves you anyway. And he knows what you're feeling anyway. So you might as well be honest and say, Hey, God, this really made me mad. You know, can you show me why this happened? Can you give me some explanation? And he may or he may not, but he's going to love you through it all. You know, and, um, and he can take it. You look all throughout the Bible where there were prophets that were angry at God, you know, and you look at like, um, David as he wrote, um, you know, the Psalms. I mean, it was, it's like a bipolar person's journal, you know, one, one, one message, one, uh, scripture is like, God, you are the God of all the heavens and the earth. And the next one is like, God, why have you forsaken me? You know, and it's like, and that was, that was someone who God loved so much, you know, that he wrote so much to the Bible through him. And so if he can do it, (laughs) right. It's so relatable. I love the Psalms. So we started the Hope Project in, uh, four years ago, um, and again, I always tell people I'm the type of person, and I wish we could all have a little bit of it. Sometimes this will get you in trouble, but jump off the cliff and build a parachute on the way down. You know, you don't have to have all the answers right now. You don't have to have it all figured out. 
Um, and if you're depending on God every day for that manna, for, you know, for your next, you know, piece of meat or whatever it is, he'll give you what you need. But we started it and, um, you know, we're, we're going on five years now. And uh, this is a ministry for those who have ever struggled with any kind of a drug or alcohol addiction. Yeah. And um, we've seen over 600 people make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and in a little over four years. We've seen uh, atheists, several atheists become fully devoted followers of Jesus. One of them actually led a small group for us um, after he got saved. Uh, you know, we've seen lives saved. We have a harm reduction program where um, we are community distributors for Narcan, where um, we get Narcan in the hands of people. Because what have Christians been doing since the dawn of time? They've been meeting tangible needs to open up the doors so they can meet spiritual needs for people, right? Hospitals, schools, you know, all these, these are all Christian, um, you know, foundational things. And so, um, you know, we really felt like God wanted us to do that. And we actually had a girl, uh, her mom came to our ministry and said, my daughter's dying. You know, what, what can you do for her? And I was like, well, let me call her. We'll talk to her. I had a good conversation with her. It was very kind. I've been there. I know it's hard. And she said, well, I'm really not ready right now, but I would like to get some Narcan from you. So we met her that night. We got some Narcan in her hands. The very next night, um, this girl who is told me on the phone that she is an atheist um, overdosed. And that same Narcan that we dispensed to her um, saved her life. Wow. She went into a detox. This is not this is a crazy story. She went into a detox got out three months later and still felt like, all right, I'm sober now, but something's missing. She remembered the kindness of our ministry, started coming to our gatherings, placed her faith in Jesus Christ. This was an atheist now and um, got baptized and is now walking in freedom from the bondage of addiction. And so um, God has just been done abundantly, uh, immeasurably more than all we could ask for or imagine. And um we're really excited about what's next. Is this so is this mostly local or if somebody was listening today and wanted to get involved is this a global sort of thing or how would that work? Yeah, yeah so we are a global ministry and we, we've got uh opportunities for people so we have a a monthly uh service where we're always looking for online chat hosts. We have people that are from Louisiana that are chat hosts that pray for people. Mm -hmm. We have an online platform that we stream from where um, it's got like private prayer and message notes. And so we like to have lots of people on there praying for people. But if somebody's listening and they're struggling with uh, some, some kind of like fentanyl or opioid addiction, we can actually do a training for them over the phone and we can send them Narcan in the mail. Yeah. Um, and then we also do, um, you know, if somebody's listening and they're in Seattle and they have a drug problem, um, we can do uh, support services for them over the phone and then we can find them uh, a local uh, recovery ministry or nonprofit um, that can get them connected into some local resources to help them find freedom. And we've got buddies we buddy them up with. We're huge on discipleship. So we try to make sure everybody gets a buddy that can kind of walk with them through the freedom journey, through the, you know, the recovery. So yeah, anybody who's listening, if there's something, you know, we can do to serve you, this is what we do. It's what we love. Um, don't ever feel like you're you're bothering us. We we would be so glad to to help you and pray for you and and get you any resources that we can. Yeah, I'll be sure to link all of your information uh, in the show yeah. notes, comments, so that people can reach out to you. And that's so important. What you said too about like linking them with a buddy and like getting them a team to help them because that was a big part yeah. of your journey too. Like you started coming to this church and then now you're in these small groups. I know I couldn't have made it out of what I was involved in either if I didn't have fellow believers walking alongside of me and helping me yes. learn the truth and, and stay accountable to the things that God was speaking to me about. That was a big part um, of my journey. I know. And so many people like try to get clean and sober, like fight these battles by themselves. But like, we just I know can't do it on our own. <laughs> No, it's, it is so impossible to, 
um, find freedom from addiction on your own. You really need somebody that's been there, has been where you're at, and has walked through that, can, that can steer you through, you know, because you're like a blind ship in the night if you're trying to do this thing on your own. Yeah. Another part that I like that you said about that girl's story, how like you had just showed her kindness. And even though she was an atheist um, and still using so many, I don't know if you said months or years yeah. later, she ended up remembering your ministry and came back. Like that's going back to the question I asked you about loving someone well, who's stuck in addiction. Yes. Like when my husband asks me like, how don't you hate them? Like, how don't you resent them? Like every time I get them on the phone, like if I can get my parents on the phone, like I just, I don't know, I just love on them. And it's not always easy, but like, that's really my heart for them is like, I love them so much. Like, I don't want them to hide from me. I don't want them to think like, just because they're not well right now that they can't be around me or talk to me. And, And every time I get just a moment of their time, I do, I, I pour love into them. I say those hard things that You know, sometimes my dad wants to rush me off the phone after I say it. I start talking about Jesus. He's like, okay, well, now I got to go. But, you know, just saying those things and trying and praying. And I don't know, I'm believing for a miracle, like what you saw with your dad. It definitely showed me that it's it's possible, even if it's years and years later. It is. And one thing that you can explain to, to your husband about that is when you really start looking at the inner workings of addiction, addiction is not a moral failure right? It's addiction is a sickness. Yeah. Yeah, They're oftentimes not bad people. They're sick people, you know, and sick people need a doctor. They need help. You know, I always tell people like if somebody had diabetes and they weren't taking their insulin, like that wouldn't be a problem. But people who are drug and alcohol addicts that can't stop with using, like all of a sudden they're horrible people. They're not horrible people. They're just sick. Uh, the American Medical Association designates uh, addiction, drug and alcohol addiction, as a disease. You know, this is something that the doctors uh, agree on. And so that's another important thing for, for listeners to hear is if you've got somebody in your life that's been struggling with addiction for so long, just please know that it's not a moral failure. It's something inside of them. It's a disease that has got them sick. They may do things. Um, that are that are horrible and they should be held accountable for those but at the same time um, you treat them like they're sick people not they're bad people you know and having a history myself of substance abusing it's like you said it's this the chemical solution to a spiritual problem and so because I was trying to fit so much in that void it's like that's why I know I need so much God now. Like I need yes. to be so involved in the church because that was just like a gaping, gaping void. And yeah, so I feel like that's exactly, you know, it's just not filling the void with the right things. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. We know that it's called a God-sized hole because God is the only one that was designed to be filled in that hole. I always tell people that even if you're not a drug addict. You're when you from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed at night, you are worshiping something, yeah. right? We are made for worship, but unfortunately, when we worship drugs or sex or relationships or whatever it is, those things were not designed to withstand the weight of our worship, so they will always crumble and leave you in a horrible place. Jesus Christ, God is the only one that was designed to withstand the weight of our worship and fill our joy bucket to the top. And so, mm-hmm. I, you know, because we've talked a lot about addiction, but, you know, we don't talk about uh, oftentimes the other things, you know, food and attention and, yeah. you know, all these other things that are really fighting for our worship that um, will take our worship and put us in a bad spot. But when we worship Jesus, I I mean, many people that are worshipers of Jesus know that the more you worship Jesus, the better you feel, the more joy you get, the, you know, your life may may not be, may not get better, but um, man, when joy, I mean, the whole world can be blowing up in front of you. And if you got joy, you're, you're good, you know? And so. That's so true. Yeah. Wow. Well, I just want to say thank you so much, Chad, for being on the show today and 
sharing your testimony and just all of the hope and encouragement, um, sharing about the hope project. Like I said, I'll link all of that information below. And just as um, one of the last things, would you just mind praying over the listeners who um, maybe are in a same or a similar place as what you once were? I would absolutely love to. So Father, we just come before you right now, God, and I just I just pray that every every person under the sound of my voice right now that is hearing this, God, if there is anything in their life that is not of you, God, that you would just remove it in the mighty name of Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that if there is someone listening today that is struggling with any kind of addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol or uh, you know, food or whatever it is, if they are putting something in the void that is the God-sized void that is not of you, God, that you would remove it, God, and show them that there is the better way. There is a way to have joy and peace that passes all understanding in all circumstances. And that way is you. That's why you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, I pray, Lord, that if somebody's listening today, they would know that they can't do this on their own. God, that they would reach out for help. God, that they would reach out to to my ministry. And that's what we're here for. God, that you would give them the courage to take that first and almost most time hardest step, which is to ask for help. God, that you would give them the courage and the obedience to, uh, to, to, to do this thing to walk in freedom. It's not going to happen through osmosis. It's not going to happen through overnight, through overnight, overnight. It's going to take some work. And so God, we pray, Lord, that you would just encourage them to do that. God, we pray for hope for the hopeless. And uh, man, thank you so much for this podcast. Uh, Thank you for, for your precious daughter here. What a, what a blessing. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless this podcast. You would bless her ministry. And God, I know big things are coming for this ministry. And I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide and direct every step. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, I'd love to have you leave a review, share it with a friend, and even connect with me on other platforms. It's at Michaela Nikolenko on Instagram and TikTok. And we also have an at Raised and Redeemed Instagram account too. I look forward to connecting with you there. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.